Welcome to Two Beats Off Podcast. This is episode five. Hi, guys. MC, TJ, Steven. Everybody's here. The gang's all here. Oh, God. Did we just reference the Dropkick Murphys already? And we talked about them last week, too. <laughs> At least that's a decent record. They were still punks. Someone needs to talk about them. People aren't talking about the Dropkick Murphys enough. Well, it's because so? Ben Affleck and Martin Scorsese haven't made a movie about Boston recently. <laughs> that was a good movie, though. I like that. It's a really good movie. Yeah. Oh, hey everyone, Lindsay's here. She's my sister-in-law. First time, first timer. Yeah, say what's up. Long time listener, first time guest. It's she has, me. She hasn't listened at all. I'm really good at podcasts, though. Hi, TJ. Hello. If she listened, she would know she's already been in an episode. Really? Yeah. How? You were on an episode. Yeah. On the phone. On the phone. Oh, that's funny. I do have a really good story to tell you guys. I think MC out of everybody would appreciate it the most. I feel like that means you did something really, really terrible and embarrassing. Yeah. I want to hear it. No, let's get into the podcast and then I'll tell you guys. All right. So, uh, I mean, first things first. TJ, I think you threw some bad juju predicting. I think you killed a guy. Oh, yeah, I killed a guy. (laughs) You predicted a SoundCloud rapper would die in 2019, and a SoundCloud rapper died in 2019. I feel like that's way too vague, though, because saying a SoundCloud rapper is going to die in 2019 is like saying, oh, somebody at that old folks' home is going to die this year. Yeah, but it's February. Listen, yeah, I'm not... I'm you know not how many SoundCloud that. rappers there are? Yeah, and I don't know any of them, so I had to be a little vague on SoundCloud rappers. Fair enough. So, uh, rest in peace, Pop Smoke. I didn't mean to kill you. Pop Smoke. I was looking Pop for his Smoke. name, but I googled rapper shot, and that doesn't help at all. No, it that is, <laughs> no. <laughs> that brought up someone named Jimmy Wopo that was killed in June of 2018, and that's not at all what. Oh. Right. So sorry, Pop Smoke. I didn't mean to get you killed. He was uh, shot in a home invasion. Sorry, it's tragic. I'm not trying to get anybody killed. Yeah, this is no disrespect at all. Did it, but. Did anyone know about Pop Smoke beforehand? No. Any of you? Where's nope. he from? I guess I was sh- researching. He was from Brooklyn. He was killed out in L.A. L.A. <laughs> L.A. I'm going to be honest. I just assume all these SoundCloud rappers with the face tattoos and stuff are from, like, Florida. <laughs> or Yeah. They're all bath salt rappers. Yeah, or like, like I don't know, like Meth Alley, Birmingham, Alabama. So AB, the ABC News article that I'm looking at right now says that rapper Pop Smoke shot and killed in alleged gang-related shooting. But I feel like ABC News is like the stepdad of news outlets, so everything is like gang-related. <laughs> like, yeah. I feel like they're like, no, don't go to the bad part of town, guys. That's I ABC News. I didn't read any uh, articles on it, but I saw... Some sort of headline about he was making some dumb internet posts. I don't know. I didn't read. I'm sorry. That's bad uh, radio here, but... That's okay. I... His name is Goofy, and 
So when it's inserted into any sentence, it's kind of like we are devastated by the unexpected and tragic loss of Pop Smoke. I like have this to participate weird. in this conversation because I can't stop laughing every time you say Pop Smoke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be honest. If we're at the point where like people are going to get so angry about your stupid internet post that they're going to come kill you, I hope nobody ever finds my old MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> What was your username? Your uh, your slash? I don't know. It was probably MC Heiser. Oh, I mean Mc Heiser. Yeah, the mine old Kaiser. Mine was the Pooper's Big. God. Are you serious? Yeah. Hmm? Yeah. You also put a picture of your pooper on the internet too, Steve. No, that was my brown eye. Yeah, your pooper. So if my sister listens to this episode, we totally chatted on AIM. When my brown eye was my aim icon. Was it an actual photo of your butthole? Yes. <laughs> I had a desktop so, computer and I stood on my desk, spread my ass cheeks, <laughs> and took a photo with my iMac computer lens. That was going to be my next series of questions was asking how and why you took that photo. I thought it would be funny to talk to people and say, hey, that's my brown eye. <laughs> See, what's amazing about this is you were allowed to have that in 2020. Facebook would say, uh-uh, uh-uh, can't have that. You're banned for a week. You'd be kicked off of Instagram. Twitter would say, fuck you, no, you're banned. Like, you'd be out. What a more? It was so up close that if, like, someone saw, they couldn't prove it was my brown eye. Oh, yeah, but Facebook doesn't care. You can just, like, you can literally just go on there and report people's posts until, like, they'll be banned. Would it have been more clever if you had that same photo and your username was Brown Eyed Girl? <laughs> <laughs> Do you think Facebook has algorithms to keep people's brown eyes off the network? I guarantee you they do. How would you like to be the guy that came up with that algorithm? we got to detect the brown eyes. <laughs> For what it's worth. I would love to be that guy because he probably makes a quarter million dollars a year minimum. I would make a Law & Order show called <laughs> Law & <and> Order B... <laughs> Law & Order B-E-D, Brown Eye Detectives. <laughs> it would also be clever if you had that same photo and your, uh, your username was like Sarlacc Pit or something like that. <laughs> I'm trying to think of clever usernames for the photo of your butthole. The outer okay. rim. Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> Sounds like an X-Files episode. There's a lot of Star Wars <laughs> references that could go there. For sure. Hey, so to wrap it up and to get back to the conversation that we didn't have because we wanted to save it for the podcast. So what's a SoundCloud rapper? I think just a rapper that exclusively posts their music on SoundCloud, right? Well... I, I would assume SoundCloud. I guess so. Was Pop Smoke exclusively on SoundCloud? Well, I'll tell you what, he was signed to a record label, but they didn't put out anything for him, I think. They should uh, now. He he was available on streaming and digital download, it said on Wikipedia. So Yeah, Pop Smoke definitely has stuff available on Spotify. Holy, Holy shit. Holy shit. Yeah. Thirty nine million. million. <laughs> Eight million monthly listeners. I wonder what that number was like a week ago, though. Before I'd, love, he died. I'd love to see that. Also, 
I'm shocked that it's not a white guy with face tattoos. Is that yeah. weird? I don't know. Okay, and then my, my other question is, if he's a SoundCloud rapper, does that make us band camp rockers? Basically. I'll take being a band camp rocker, though. Is that does, that just, does that just mean being an artist in the digital age, like using like whatever the popular platform is to... Steven. Um, yeah. Is there poop on your floor? Um, probably. Did your wife do it? I don't know. <laughs> All I know is it was Friday night. I work till 10 on Fridays. So I get home around 1040. And I come in through the basement door. And it smells kind of funny. And I look over and the comforter's on my sectional. And there's a big yellow spot on it. I think, oh, that's weird. Maybe someone spilled lemonade. So whatever. I walk into the next room. And on the floor, in three pieces, brown and stinky, <laughs> were three turds. Now, at this point in the night, it's pretty late. There's only one mammal in the house still awake. And that's my wife. <laughs> so you tell me. Who pooped on the floor and was that piss on the comforter? Did you ask her? Yeah. What did she say? She said no. Steven, that's an excellent segue into a story that I would like to discuss, which circles back to music. That you year we all went to the fest and I picked you and your wife up at the airport. Yeah. We got back to the Holiday Inn there in Gainesville where the pre-fest activities were going on the show outside at the pool i think mast intruder played at the pool while i was picking yeah. up at the airport they usually do all of our friends from pennsylvania when we got back to the holiday inn when i got back with you and Brittany, everyone we know was beyond fucked up because they all ate these weed treats that one of them had made, but they didn't know how to how much like I guess the hemp oil or whatever you boil it down to to put in the food, and like they were all so messed up. I remember taking Fat Matt and Zach back to our hotel room, and they just laid in the bed staring at the fucking TV. Like I'm saying fucking a lot. I'm sorry. They just laid in bed staring at the TV unable to comprehend or move and as i went to leave fat matt had the remote laying on his stomach and he just yelled mc and i was like what what <laughs> and he's just like no cartoons no cartoons <laughs> so i had to go change the channel to like a real show the next day when we were running into people in the streets of gainesville like the other pennsylvanians that were in florida everyone said the same thing like they were like I got so messed up off of that. One of them said I felt like spaghetti. <laughs> so, and the best worst part of that night is the the show, and I think it was eight seconds at the time. Now it's like a cowboy bar. Well, eight seconds was still a cowboy bar, but yeah. it has a different name now. Um, but the show that night that I really cared about at that, at that bar was Nightbirds, Strike Anywhere, A Willem Scream, 
yeah. and yeah. paint it black, like one right. after another. I think a Willem scream was last. I think it was Nightbirds, Strike Anywhere, Paint It Black, a Willem scream. Because Steven and I were at that show and we we're just like, holy fuck, this, the holy shit, like this is the, the best lineup in a row at any venue at Fest, and most of our friends from Pennsylvania were really, really messed up on weed brownies and couldn't enjoy it. Steven, is that the year you missed your flight on the way down? Yeah. <laughs> is Remember that why you needed up? to pick me up like in the middle of registration? Yeah. <laughs> I, I woke up in the hotel that morning to a text from Steve that's like, hey, we missed our flight. I was like, oh, neat. I, uh, I remember when you texted me that you were at the airport, I was still like probably 200 people back in line. So I just got out of line and went and found an elevator that brought you up on the other side of the like upstairs like convention room where they do registration. And I came in through a back door and just hopped in line like five people from the table, got registered, grabbed a koozie, and then went and picked you guys up. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. The last two times I went to Fest, well, we didn't win line because we played. And then the time before that, I did not wait in line. And I know I went up an elevator I wasn't supposed to, and I probably waited like 20 minutes. Okay, so the Fest. Best place at Fest to see a band play. Ooh. I'm going to put it out there. Not Bo Diddley Plaza. Not Bo Diddley Plaza. Yeah, I feel like that's uh, a given. I like that they have a huge venue like that now for some of the really big bands that they've been able to pull. But, man, I miss that old Florida theater. Oh, I re- when it was just called The Venue, and you could stand yeah. on those tiered stairs and see stuff from, like, so far back. Yeah. I'm going to throw a vote in for the Atlantic pretty high up. I like yeah. the Atlantic a lot. If you can get in, which I'm not taking into account for this, like the line situation, like once you're in. I'm going to do a two-tiered thing here. The Atlantic is my favorite small venue, and whatever the Cowboy Bar is is my favorite. Because it's big, but it's not like so big that you can't enjoy the show from anywhere. Right. So it's not like – because the venue was another half that size again. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, at it was least, twice as- yeah, but eight seconds, you could stand at the full back of the room and see everything fine. Yeah. Now, the tiered stairs at, at the venue, or I think it was Florida Theater at one year that I was there, um, made it really nice to be able to see from wherever, too. And I don't know. But yeah, oh. eight seconds or whatever it is called now is definitely my second favorite. The first couple years at the venue, though, you could still smoke indoors. Oh, oh God. And that's like true animal behavior. So like. That was not great at all. I'm going to vote for eight seconds. I like the Florida Theater. If it were still a venue, I I would probably pick it. Do you remember, Justin, did you go to that dance party the year it wasn't part of Fest? No, I think you guys all did. Was that the year we played? Yeah. Yeah, I remember you guys all going, and I don't think think we went. It was like an R&B hip-hop DJ party, but there were like seven people there. And as you all can imagine, you've all been to Fest. Seven people in that ginormous room with like tiered stairs dancing to hip-hop is pretty funny. <laughs> um, the Atlantic would be my favorite venue if it wasn't for the wait time to get in. Do you remember the laboratory? Did you go there? I don't think I did. Wait, where did Placeholder play? They played the laser tag spot. Mars, oh. Mars Laser Tag or Mars Cafe. No, I never 
went there. I'm going to switch over to a subject TJ talked about since we were talking about our favorite fest venues, favorite hometown venues, or favorite oh, venue you've played, period. Yeah, my list was favorite favorite venue you've played. Anywhere. You want me to go first? Yeah, I had anywhere, but there's a lot of hometown places on here. Yeah, go ahead. All right, so what do I got? I got the radio station up in Berlin or Burlington, which only Steve knows about. So yeah. that was dope. Big Heavy uh, World, or I'm did not, Big I'm Heavy not, World do it? I'm not going to um, go for this because this is also my pick for favorite venue I've ever played. Oh. All right, so I've got but, uh, Charm City Art Space on here. Let me put, let me pause you for a second before you continue, TJ. Was yeah. the radio station – what are what are the qualifications? What's our parameters here? Was it your favorite venue because of the people in the situation and people jumping off of the CD racks that you guys have told me about? Uh, or kind of different things for each of these. For that one, just the show and the circumstances. Yeah. It okay, made so, for a good time. Okay, so that's more of a circumstantial thing rather than like the venue itself. I'd be curious to know if anyone has hit a spot multiple times and it's sustained favorite venue spot. Oh, I have some of that on this list here too. Um, so we've got Charm City Art Space. I liked the basement more than the newer place, but both Agreed. are cool. Uh, Amigsville Park building always sounded great anytime we've ever done a show in there. Which is weird because it wasn't set up to do that at all, but it did oh, sound good. Every single time. And then uh, Steve, another one that probably you only know is uh, Legitimate Business in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. That big that big place. And that, that oh, was just cool. he covered uh, Snapcase there, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. That was a cool show, a cool venue. Wasn't there like some kind of weird loft in the back or something? Maybe, I yeah. don't know. That sounds now. Cool. Now we're getting. Uh, I got my last three here. Three of my favorites. I got Submission in San Francisco. That's that was a... always a cool place to play. Uh, Shea Cafe is on here just because it was Shea Cafe, and I feel like everybody dialed it up because we were playing at Shea Cafe. Good show. And then my favorite was uh, Democracy Center up in Cambridge. Oh, oh yeah, that's a good spot. Favorite spot. Never played there, but watched a lot of those videos from the Future Breed videos. Very, very uh, cool spot. We played there once, and I walked outside and down the street. It was the middle of winter, and some guy had like two huskies tied up on a, like, I don't know, a post outside of a bar while he was inside drinking. And I was out there petting these huskies, and I was like, ah, I hope these dogs are friendly. I don't want to lose my hand. All right, so who's next on the venues? Uh, I, I want to go before I forget. Okay, okay go, go ahead. ahead. Uh, circumstantial is totally that radio station in Burlington, Vermont. Shout out to everyone who's there. Maintain played our buddy Sean, who thinks actually he's debating tonight, which we could add him. Actually, yeah, I would like to add him in a little bit. We'll do that after this. Uh, Maintain, Outrage, and Unrestrained played that show. And it was wild, and we covered Rather Be Dead. And people went insane. And I think another band covered Rather Be Dead that night. <laughs> um, what, a, what a time to be alive with the same cover from two bands in the same show. Yeah, but it, outside of that show, it would not have gone over well. Um, favorite local venue is obviously the Garage or Champ. I never got to play Old Champ at New Champ. It was fun because of the people, I think. You never got to play Old Champ? No. Really? Buddy, I'm like 12. I played Old Champ with my very first band, Jolly Roger, and uh, nobody was there. Oh, Summer and Screener played Old Champ what feels like a thousand times. It yeah, might have only been like 
five or six, but it feels like a thousand. Oh, Justin, if we're leaving venues off, we didn't uh, we didn't mention the Lower Paxton Youth Center. Oh Ooh, man, that's a good one. That's a very good one. Lo- legendary local venue, yeah, for sure. Holy cow, that's one of those places that like that and Old Champ. We played a bunch, Decontrol, and like every time it was just wild. It was did so we play? Did we play your lap? No, we played Eden Park's last show together, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, technically you... it was our last show, too. Oh, uh, okay. I was going to ask if you had a last show. I couldn't remember. Hey. Yeah. Before we get more into this, I just got a text from Sean, and he has been struggling with uh, withdrawal lately. He hasn't debated anyone in a couple weeks. Uh-oh. And I think either MC or TJ need to take him on. Do you oh, have a topic? Do you have a topic? Debating? Yeah, I have a topic, but I'm not going to throw it out until Sean knows as well. Can you text it to me? I would yeah, say. I'm at one percent, but you'll be okay with it. I'm going to volunteer MC on this one. He's a better talker than I am. Um, am I tagging in on the venues? Yeah, go ahead, MC. You go, and I'll go last. Um, I'm going to show my age a little bit here and say. One of my favorite places I ever got to play is kind of just a bragging right, CBGB's. Um, Fair enough. Played there once, like a year before they closed up for the fun, for good. Locally, I always loved shows up at the Dillsburg Fire Hall back in the day. Oh, we played there one time. Yeah, because, man, those shows were wild. You'd book five or six bands and 300 people would show up. It had that big stage that felt like Guns N' Roses should be playing. Oh, for sure. And it was just really rad. Um, places on the road. The Democracy Center in Cambridge is always fun. Um, Uncle Lou's in Orlando always took really good care of us. We always had a blast there. We played there a few summers in a row. We played it there. still exists. Is that the place we played, Steve? It, it, someone played Uncle Lou's. When we played there, they didn't have a PA, I think. At Uncle uh, was that that with the big Jesus? No, that was in Daytona. Oh, fuck. I went we back there this year. a little dive bar. Yeah, it was like a little bar. They didn't have a PA system. They bought the, they took over the spot next to them and expanded. So the dive bar is still there, but the room next to them is like equally as big and the bands play there now. I stopped in there this past year when I was in Orlando for a week. I had to stop in because I saw there was a show going on. Weird bluesy rock and roll bands were playing, but. I mean, still was Uncle Lou's. What other venues? I, I don't want to like toot my own horn and say the garage, though. I really do like the garage. But Old Champ was definitely a place that felt like home for a long time. Did any of you guys ever play Soundwaves in Reading while it still existed? Hey, Sean. I did not. Hi, Sean. That was um, for the Reading side of uh, of folks here locally. That was pretty wild uh frank phobia had it and the wooden wave skate park was in it too it was like the only all ages reading club and the but it was built in a floodplain, unfortunately and like the third time it flooded they couldn't keep up with the insurance and they had to get rid of it so then all those sh- shows were moved to the silo and then someone got stabbed at the silo so now that's done too man this was like 2007 we played a place in richmond called i think it was nara nara sushi nara sushi yeah. did punk shows quite often and that was a really good show. Like everyone just came out and went really wild, had a really good time. We got taken back to this apartment building where 
I swear every other apartment in this apartment building was rented out by people that were involved in the punk and hardcore scene. And it was just like, it reminded me of a frat house or like a dormitory on a college campus, but it was all like punk and hardcore kids drinking literally cases of PBR. We played a sushi spot in, was that Kitchener, Steve? Yeah. Um, right down the street from the venue that had our name on there. Uh, oh yeah. Does everybody know that story? We uh-huh. rolled in, we tried to book a show in Kitchener Waterloo and this venue didn't respond to us at all. So we found a new venue and then driving to the place where our show actually was, we drove by the place we had first emailed and our name was on their marquee out front. <laughs> so did you do a double header? No, uh, I think we emailed or, or I called. Emailed. Yeah. yeah. You emailed the hive and said that, uh, they, they were mad at us. Yeah, they were mad. They said we'd never play Kitchener Waterloo again. <laughs> I responded and said, that's funny because we're playing down the street right now. <laughs> uh, actually, that that was in Toronto, though. I was wrong. Oh, the sushi was in Toronto? Yeah, when um, uh, What's-His-Face from Peace Be Still did his uh, spoken word intro for us. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Making everyone really uncomfortable. It was bad. Yeah. You know what was another really rad venue? I think it was Ev from back then it was anti-wastoids then became mindset. He used to do a yearly show at his barn and those shows were really fun and really wild. And looking back, incredibly dangerous to set up all this electrical equipment that's running super hot in an area with, it's a barn made of old dried wood. The barn was probably a hundred years old. Everything's covered in random hay. When I was in come out to play, we played a barn show. I want to say it was in the Harrisburg area with like the LA villains. And I want to say bones brigade played it. Nice. It was pretty weird. I don't remember. No, if you guys knew that barn at all, that was like the Colt leathers, Tiffany sours crowd of thrash punks. All right. I have a question. Is there a person in the world with a cooler name than Colt Leathers? <laughs> I'm not yeah. sure. Probably not. Hey, um, I I have a I have a nominee for that conversation. My brother sent me a screenshot of an article he was reading the other day about I don't know what something about Olympic International Committee. There's a gentleman on the oh what is that? I'll read you the blurb he said. It's a Dick Pound a former Canadian swimming champion who has been on the IOC since 1978, blah, 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 blah. There's a gentleman whose name is Dick Pound. <laughs> That's, uh, did any of you all grow up in a NASCAR family? It's uh, Dick Trickle. Dick Trickle. Dick Trickle. Ring, yeah. Which, RIP, I believe he shot himself, if I'm not I mistaken. Know. All right, Steve, you got a, you got a topic for Sean? and uh... Wait, hold on. We're going to finish the venues. We got Sean oh. and we got Justin with the venues. Wait, oh, Sean yeah. doesn't even know what's going on. Sean, we're oh, talking about our our favorite <laughs> venues, either at home or, or on the road that you've ever played. Hey, wait, before Sean hops in, let Sean know he was part of one of our favorite venues. TJ and I both picked the show in Burlington, Vermont, at the radio station that maintained Outrage and Reignition and Unrestrained played. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah, we played in an office that was basically an office big enough to have two desks. But they had like forty people and bands. Yeah. yeah, that was that was like one of the best nights ever. That was like oh. the third venue that that show was supposed to be at. 
<laughs> yeah, it got, I remember loading in and then loading out because it had canceled before it started. Yeah. That kind of ties to like our favorite venue, which was 242 Main in Burlington. That was on my list too. I yeah. pretty much only ever had bad shows there, but it's still like cool to play there. I do got to throw one other one out there for a favorite place we played. The Mofad Heaven in Brooklyn. It was, oh, which, who lived there? I, I A couple of the people from fat heaven lived there maybe all three at one point don't quote me on that though it was their basement and they did a bunch of shows there for a while and then we went up there and played and it was packed basically for those of you that know the old small band room in the garage like it was like that size but it was a basement in brooklyn and kind of a nice neighborhood and like we just i just i mean Everywhere in Brooklyn's nice now because it's just so expensive. But it was it was a fun show. The crowd really enjoyed us. We got pizza and beer and had a great time. All right, Justin, what are your venues then? All right, so I had a couple overlapping ones. I had 242 on that list. Um, I had the sushi place, the aforementioned sushi place in uh, Ontario. When you mentioned Brooklyn, MC, I thought about our show at Suburbia, oh, yeah. Steve. Remember yeah. the show at Suburbia? That was pretty cool. It was cool. Um, I also had, I don't know how to pronounce it, Lesco in Montreal, where we played with Laurie at that time. Was that cool just because we were playing in Montreal? No, because we played at Montreal for Pooza Fest, and that was not that cool. Fair enough. I also had um, uh, that show we hopped on in California. That place has a lot of big shows now, that program skate shop. Yeah, that was cool. We played there before I knew it was like a hardcore destination, and now you see photos from there all the time. Oh, and the Milestone in South Carolina. Bad MC, I mentioned that recently. The Bad Brains play there a bunch. Yeah, the Bad Brains, I think Black Flag had tagged that. And also, that was when, uh, <laughs> shout out to Paul Blessed, friend of the show. I think, Stephen, you broke the toilet, but no one knew that you broke the toilet. Like, you didn't tell anybody. And Paul no, Blessed had the shit. took the bullet for that. Paul Blessed had I've the shit real bad. And I was the only straight-edge guy on that tour at that point, I think. And Paul Bless asked me to drive him around South Carolina in a thunderstorm looking for a gas station with a toilet he could shit in. Because Stephen <laughs> ruined the one at the venue. I blamed it on Paul, though. <laughs> I think oh. you did. Yeah, you did. What was the venue on James Island in Char- outside of Charleston? Oh, I know, uh, like, TJ, call, we played there. Call Nick Kafer. Was it the Oasis? I think it was the Oasis. That was the only place we ever really played. We played yeah. there with Strike Anywhere. Yeah, we played there with Strike Anywhere. Nice. I mean, I had fun playing there. I, you had fun ooh. at the gas station next door. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> I, I met a... Uh, Gucci Mane. Yeah, Gucci Mane there. I tried to give him a road soda, and he said, hell no. You met Gucci <laughs> Mane for having... Yeah, no lie. He played Charleston proper that night, and his, this limo pulled up as... First off... The girl at the register gave us four loco. We had never had four loco before. And we were, I was done. I was drunk as shit. I bought a, I bought a 12 pack of Bud Light, sat on the counter next to Shaw Day, the, the, the girl that was running the gas station. And as people were paying for gas, I was opening Bud Lights and handing them to them and saying, have a nice night. And this limousine pulled up and got gas. And in comes this dude with like a, ice cream cone tattooed on his face and i tried to give him a road soda and he just like in the most proper english was like 
no, thank you. I will not have that or something along those lines. I just remember it being like, I expected like, you know, like, no, get the fuck out of my face kind of talk. Cause that's what I would have said to me, but he was just super proper. Yeah. Everyone was like, Oh shit. That was Gucci Mane. I had no idea who Gucci Mane was. Mitch was really jealous. That's, that's the first time that I, I wandered off and ran into a famous rapper that while well, on the road with Mitch and he got really upset with me. We <laughs> ran into black yellow, right? TJ. Yeah, we were in the account Blackula. <laughs> That's that for that story. <laughs> anyway. He, he was spitting bars on our way back to the van, and then he wouldn't leave us go. When we got to the van, he's like, all right, I got one more. Check this out. And he'd finish, and then he'd be like, all right, I got one more. Check this out. <laughs> Steven, do you remember? Providence, I think, or Rhode Island. Yep, somewhere. Yep. Remember that rapper in North Carolina that said he could throw a football farther than Brett Favre's father? Yes. <laughs> Is Brett Favre's dad still alive? I don't know. That was 2011, probably. It was his rhyme. I don't know. <laughs> I could throw I mean, a football farther. The Brett Favre's father. <laughs> can we discuss that we pronounce it Favre, but it's definitely not spelled Favre? No, it's fa- Favre. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what? French. <laughs> I don't care what language you know. You you don't change the sounds around when the letters are in the wrong order. I'm going to start calling TJ JT because, you know, French people just flip letters around sometimes. Did any of you guys say A is 220 in Providence? Oh, no. No, I never played there. That's a good one. Oh, yeah. That spot's awesome. We we played up. Was that upstairs at A is 220, Steve? Upstairs, yeah. There was a show downstairs. Convulsions played. We saw Convulsions play the first time we were in Rhode Island there. It was pretty cool. All right, him with his topic, Stephen. Okay, here's the topic. Sean? Yep. You're of the opinion that we need to take the funds from America's border wall and put it towards a border wall in the north separating the United States and Canada. MC, you are of the opinion that we need to take those funds away from that southern border wall, but we need to put it towards new, more efficient, cleaner energy and replace airplanes with hot air balloons. At first I was like, this is too serious. I don't like this at all, but the hot air balloon angle is nice. <laughs> hot air balloons aren't efficient. <laughs> <laughs> like at all. <laughs> Well, that's the opinion. You're just (laughs) perpetually burning gas to be aloft whatsoever. (laughs) With no direction, like literally no aim. And And I know I'm not in this debate. It's like a college freshman just out there floating around aimlessly. (laughs) So I'm not in this debate, but like picture the – so would we end up with like hot air balloon air buses? Would it be like a long (laughs) canoe under two balloons? Like – here, all you people get Look, in this basket. We don't know where you're going. are going to evolve into like a big, like football-shaped type hot air balloon with a little passenger just like area underneath, <laughs> and it's just going to end in a fiery mess of death. MC, you're not understanding. You are of the opinion that we need to replace planes with a more efficient, cleaner technology, aka uh, hot air. Yeah, what I just said was a positive, not a negative. Okay. Well, who wants to start? Hindenburg. <laughs> Wait, what year did the Hindenburg happen? 
I like that you were just like, Hindenburg? Well, I was referencing the Hindenburg when I said a big football-shaped balloon yeah. with, like, people underneath. I, I got to check out, before before I make my next argument. That's his closing argument, actually. Just Hindenburg. <laughs> in summation, Oh, wait, wait, wait. The Hindenburg blew up in 1937, which means it killed Nazis. Gore! Yeah. Did you guys start yet? MC said that that the Hindenburg blew up, and that's positive because it killed Nazis. So, argue with that thought, Stephen. Tell me, tell me, killing Nazis. I, I mean, that. yeah, if you're talking about like, the southern border wall, then you might kill Nazis if you just divert all that money into you put a bunch of like border patrol guys up in some Hindenburgs. We might be doing the world a solid. <laughs> you guys are getting it. <laughs> I think we're we're diverting the funds into killing these Nazis. So wait, the debate was we have to argue two separate things. Like we should defund the border wall, but for two different ends. Yeah, yeah you've got to argue that we need to keep out the Canadians, or or arguably keep the Americans from running to Canada. That <laughs> Paul. All right, I will say. I, it took me like a minute to like pick a demographic of Canadians that feel all right with insulting, and I got one <laughs> I hate the shit out of. So, uh, one of my best friends from childhood went on to work for like a giant uh, soulless Canadian investment bank, <laughs> and um, he could probably buy me ten times over and make me do anything at this point. But there's like an annual gathering out near like winnipeg or some like godless wasteland like that and it's called stampede and it's like a giant it's like a gathering of the juggalos for like canadian like wall street type banker bros and they all go there they wear like very expensive cowboy looking clothes and they all go to this like giant thing and it's just like a massive convention of the absolute fucking worst people in canada so i'm all for taking the funds and building a giant wall specifically around that range of canada where they might invade the united states but that would also be like probably in the dakotas so there's probably not too much danger of them doing that to begin with Is that, that, that border is just a prairie yeah, yeah. That's a place you'd probably die immediately. But I'm going to give you a few reasons why we need Canadians being able to come to America. Hockey. Oh, I'm not even going to get into hockey players, my friend. I'm going to say Jim Carrey, Tommy Chong, Michael Sarah, Michael Myers, Seth Rogen, Dan Aykroyd. Michael Myers was a serial killer. No, no, no. The guy that played Wayne from Wayne's World, Wayne Campbell. Oh, Austin Powers. Austin Powers. Michael J. Fox. Are you ready? William Shatner. Pamela Anderson. Phil Hartman. John Candy. The list goes on and on. Rick Moranis, who's coming back for a Honey, I Shrunk the Kids reboot. Oh, hell yeah, yeah. Wait, Avril Lavigne, inventor of punk rock, came to America to deliver punk rock from Canadian ice prison. <laughs> um, that beer is 9%, and I'm starting to feel pretty good about myself right now. Michael Buble. <laughs> yeah, come on, Michael Buble. Okay, 
This is the end all be all. Keanu Reeves. That's the end all be all. You don't have Bill and Ted. You don't have The Matrix. You don't have John Wick. I've never what? seen any of those. Bill and Ted? You, I'm with TJ on this. You've never seen Bill and Ted? No. Wow. Okay, Steven, we're having a movie night. <laughs> the rest of this podcast is everybody's going to watch Bill and Ted <laughs> from their respective homes at the same time. With the thing slightly off. Yeah, it's, it's, it's perfect. Last year on um, <laughs> June 9th, we had a show at the garage, and in between bands, we played Bill and Ted on a projector on the wall. Because it was <laughs> Bill and Ted Day 69. <laughs> Steven, you need to show your children this immediately. They'll Are be you? better people than you for it. No one's yelling at each other over the border wall money. Okay, hold on. I, I have a problem. Justin is gone. He's back. God, I've been waiting years for this. Justin. Right, yeah, so in closing, I think we agree. I think we agree. Oh, yeah, Justin. We're agreeing yes. history, right, Justin? Right, in closing, you agree. <laughs> hey, so hey, I got some... I, just, uh, I had to pee real bad. Yeah, I got some breaking news, though, all right? This just came down. Rollingstone.com breaks it for me. Scratch junk i'm not scratching my junk like i'm scratching my belly yeah okay okay my bad <laughs> close all right so rolling stone broke this for me i don't know who broke it public enemy fires flavor flave after bernie span bernie sanders rally spat well, no. i'm not jerking off i'm <laughs> pretending to jerk off flavor, so flavor fave got got fired by public enemy yeah you heard it here first do, 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 do. <laughs> Public Enemy and Public Enemy Radio, I guess that was Chuck D's solo thing, will be moving forward without Flavor Flav. Uh, we thank him for his years of service and wish him well. I assume they would have fired him because of Flavor of Love and all that, like, not Public Enemy level garbage. Yeah, but I feel like all those old rap groups have that wild card. I mean, Wu-Tang had ODB. And while yeah. most of those other guys went on to like very, very serious endeavors, like ODB was just like, nah, give me that money. <laughs> you know what I, I learned today? RZA has a meditation album on Spotify. Yeah, that came out very recently. Yeah, I don't, Did, I didn't hear about it until like, today. Which one went and got like two or three college degrees? I don't know. Might have been RZA. One of them is like, like, very very well educated um probably jizzy he's a genius he had uh yeah one of them had a like science related like bill nye type show on netflix for a little while oh this week in rap news there's another rap thing i know um this is real it's gonna sound so fucking fake this is real life bone thugs and harmony temporarily changed their name to boneless thugs and harmony to coincide with a promotion for Buffalo Wild Wigs. Yeah, I saw that. All Sean, right, did you also hear that on NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me? <laughs> I, I did hear, admittedly and embarrassingly, I, I did hear that, but I did already know that. Which... Oh, I didn't, I didn't know it, but I heard it on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me yesterday. <laughs> All right, without further ado, let's get to Bob Nana from Braden. Hey, Mercedes.
Today on the podcast, we have Bob Nana from Braid from Hey Mercedes, uh, the city on film. Bob Nana from Bob Nana. Uh, Lift the bells, a bunch more. And uh, we'll get into all that. We're going to start from the beginning as far back as we can. You were born in Chicago, right, Bob? That is correct. What was in that? 1975. What was that like being born? Yeah, yeah what was that like? This is rough. Yeah. It was a rough journey, but I made it. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. This is going to be no, good. That, that's perfect. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> so, do you remember the first moment that you saw your mother? Uh, I don't, to be honest. But you know what's funny is actually the the answer to that is yes, and it was about mm, six years ago. Oh, that's oh. deep. Is that, I mean, that's the honest to God truth. Yeah, I was adopted when I was born. Okay. So, um, yeah, I, up until, you know, like I said, five or six years ago, I really had no idea who my parents were. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, yeah, about, yeah, it was about five years ago. I was just doing a little bit of research online about, um, you know, if you were an adopted person in what in Illinois or whatever, they, they just changed the rules that I could get my real birth certificate so that I could actually see who my actual parents were. Yeah. And I decided to do it. It was, it was nuts. It was like, Hey, send 20 bucks to the secretary of state to get your, <laughs> your real birth certificate. And I was like, uh, okay, I'll do that. Um, yeah. And so I was able to, you know, uh, after maybe a week of intense sleuthing, find, um, them. And apparently I, I knew this, I knew that they had had me in high school. So they were like 18 year old, 18 year olds. Right. Had me in high school, put me out for adoption. And what I didn't know is they stayed together then and got oh, wow. married and had two kids. So I found out, you know, like I said, kind of recently that I have a full brother and a full sister. Um, yeah. So I do remember the day that I, I met them. <laughs> Did you oh, wow. meet, like your uh, brother and sister? No, I met, yeah. Um, I met, yeah, I met everybody and I still see my brother pretty often. We, we play trivia together. That's awesome. Yeah. That's not the answer that we expected. When I, I didn't think, think it would be. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, so then you grew up in Chicago. Did you grow up in like the suburbs or kind of like, like downtown Chicago or what was your childhood like there? I grew up in the city. It was, um, uh, when I turned or when I started high school, we moved to the suburbs. So growing up, you know, from ages zero to 13 or 14, I lived in the city and it was, I don't know, it was pretty great. I mean, I went to a Catholic grade school and grew up in a neighborhood that was mostly, it was, it was half, like half Polish immigrants and half Puerto Rican. And I had a great, I, I love being able to, you know, think back about growing up in the city just because I feel like I don't know. I had a 
um, a childhood that a lot of the kids that I went to high school with in the suburbs maybe didn't have just being, yeah, I don't know, growing up in like sort of insular subdivisions, et cetera. I, I ha I'm pretty psyched about um, having the sort of, I guess you could say like diverse um, upbringing. Or culture when you grow up in like a city versus outside of it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was, you know, I took public transportation to whatever the mall, <laughs> like, I don't know. I, we, there was, and there was also a lot of community um, that existed growing up in the city too, where, you know, like I played, you know, little league at the park district and I don't know there, it just was, it just felt like I was part of something bigger and was psyched to be part of it. <laughs> I hope that makes sense. I don't know. Do you remember uh, what your first encounters with music were like your first memories encountering music? Um, I know that my parents, my, my, you know, that raised me, um, knew that I was very musically inclined really, really early. Like, would hear me singing and stuff in my crib, which is nuts because they weren't very musical at all. And they didn't really play music in the house, but I just gravitated towards it from a very, very early age. And, um, my parents had, uh, some friends that lived down the block from us and they had a son that was my age. And so he was my you know best friend growing up. His parents loved music and they had a jukebox in their basement. And so, and you know, they were the first family in our neighborhood to get cable. So, you know, I would go over there and watch MTV and uh, stuff like that. They loved the Rolling Stones. They loved disco at the time, uh, Blondie. And so I just loved being there and loved listening to music with, with them and, I don't know. And their son was more into sports. He didn't really like music as much. So I don't know, like we got switched or something, but, um, yeah, so that, that, that's really what I remember about, um, you know, really discovering music, uh, at an early age was really my friend's parents. Do you remember your first, uh, whether someone got it for you, you bought it yourself, your first either record or tape or whatever you got, do you remember what that was? Uh, I had some records. I had a, a bunch of 45s. I remember having an Elvis okay. 45 with like hound dog on it. I know it's like, whatever. I'm not that old. <laughs> like I remember my first <laughs> Elvis record, but I remember having that. I remember having like a queen, uh, cassette, you know, when I was a kid, I don't remember. I mean, th these were records that people bought for me or just gave right. to me or, or whatever. I remember buying my first cds uh yeah my first cd that i bought was Def leopard hysteria sick yeah well, that's a good one yeah it's it, oh, just full of hits full of hits that was my first concert really yeah nice york fairgrounds didn't get to see Def leopard ever but i think you still have a shot i think i do too yeah so when when you uh were in school do you remember the most, I because I know I do. Do you remember one of the what the most embarrassing thing that happened to you ever in either middle school or high school was? The one thing that popped in my head that keeps me up every night. No, it doesn't. But um, 
when I was in grade school, I, you know, I must have been, I don't know, 10, 11-ish. Um, my school had every year a carnival um, where they had, you know, whatever, carny rides and like booths. Yeah, booths with like games where you would, you know, whatever, <laughs> throw rings around something stupid. But they also had like a bouncy castle was part of it. Mm. And um, one, this one time, I just I remember this so vividly, oddly enough. I remember jumping a fence to get to this bouncy castle, which in in retrospect, that doesn't make sense. Why would I have to jump a fence? But I do remember jumping a fence. <laughs> and then in the bouncy castle, I was jumping around, having a wonderful time, and realized that like I did not have any pants on. <laughs> like so what had happened was when I jumped over this fence, I think I ripped the shorts I was wearing and didn't realize it until like you know, well into my jumping experience that my shirts were shorts were just ripped wide open. And I was like, Oh my god, that must have happened when I jumped over the fence. But that's I seem I'm not sure how embarrassing that was because I don't rem I don't recall anybody seeing it. I just remember being sort of embarrassed and like sort of like, you know, walking out of the bouncy <laughs> castle. But um yeah. Uh, that, yeah, that's the first thing that popped in my head. I can't think of anything really from high school. Okay. Yeah. I, that's a good one. I don't know. I, I never asked that question before. And for some reason it popped in my head right now. <laughs> yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. No one's ever asked me that. You, you might've, uh, Steven, you might've unearthed like the key to early braid songs without even knowing about it. Oh boy. That's, yeah. This is all, they're all, it's all connected. <laughs> So did you play drums before guitar? Yeah. Or, okay. How'd you how'd you decide that you wanted to play drums? Um, I liked drums. Good reason. More. <laughs> you know, yeah. When I was, you know, like I said, when I was a kid, my parents realized that I was really into music, so they bought me a drum set. They also had a piano, and they gave they like, um got me piano lessons and I didn't like, I mean, because I was, you know, raised, um, with like the Rolling Stones and like MTV at that point in time or Michael Jackson or something, I was, I, I was uninterested in playing the piano. I wanted to play something loud and cool and it really wasn't guitar for some reason. It was the drums. I just felt like, I mean, I had, pretty good rhythm and I wanted to, well, you know, bang things, but my parents got me piano lessons and I really didn't like it. Although now I'm so glad that they did it because I don't know, I wish I would have stuck with it, but you know, it, it seemed like work and homework to me, you know, that, uh, you know, and it wasn't like Mick Jagger, or Keith Richards were like sitting at a piano right? You know, or playing guitar it, or uh, playing songs on the piano. So it just wasn't cool to me when I was a kid. But um, yeah, the drums were something that I loved, but I also had a pretty good singing voice or, you know, whatever. I sang a lot. So when I first started a band, uh, I was playing drums, but no one wanted to sing. And I was like, oh, shit, I'll sing. And so I had to sing and play drums. But yeah, that was it. I just I just liked playing drums more. And I didn't start playing guitar until basically until I, st I went to college. 
How many bands did you play drums in when you started? Like, what was your first band? My first band was called Slap Happy, and we were pretty terrible. <laughs> um, and, you know, as, you know, anyone's first band could be, because we just, you know, we we wanted to, you know, we liked ska a little bit. We liked, you know, like the early, like early, early Red Hot Chili Peppers, almost like, you know, punk, funky type things. But we also like Bad Religion and, you know, whatever, the Boston. So we didn't know what we were doing. And so we just sort of did everything. Right. Yeah, that was the first band I was in. And I didn't sing for that band. I just played drums. My first then, thought yeah. was I could see that on a opening tour package with, like, Real Big Fish. Who, Real, Slap Happy? Real Big Fish with Slap Happy. Oh yeah. I, That'd be amazing. And then I, I played drums in a band called Friction that actually was a little more serious. I mean, we put out a record. We toured. And I played drums and sang for that band. So how'd you meet those guys? In high school, when I was when I got to high school, um, it was a sub. Like I said, a, a, we moved to the suburbs. It was uh, Lombard was the suburb, and it just so happened there was. I, I immediately kind of gravitated toward the crew in my high school that were a little bit outcasty, <laughs> that liked punk rock music. At the time, I was, you know, getting into punk rock, but I was all—I also sort of liked metal at that point in time too. But I just got into a pretty good group of of people that would listen to music. We started a band together, and then once we did that, we started to play just shows around town here and there. And you know, then it grew. The whole like scene opened up to me and to us and so that's how i met you know the few other people that i started this band excuse me friction with um from a from a neighboring high school and yeah it was amazing like um when i was in high school the, this was you know 89 to 93 there was a club in the um suburb next to lombard which was elmhurst there was a club called McGregor's that did all ages shows every Sunday. And we would go to every single show that they had. It didn't matter who was playing. And so we were able to see, like, uh, at the time, all the bands that were touring weren't playing Chicago because there was no, you know, the Fireside Bull didn't exist. The Metro was just doing metal shows. There was nowhere to play. And so all the bands would come through and play this club in Elmhurst. So we saw, you know, Green Day on their first tour. We saw The Offspring, Clutch, NoFX, um, Jawbox, Shudder to Think. All of these bands would come through and play McGregor's. And, yeah, so, I mean, we just were jawbreaker. In fact, there's like a video. There was a, a group of people that we used to take, um, you know, with the big video camera, like take videos of all the shows. And so there's a video of the jawbreaker playing McGregor's. I mean, everybody came through and played their screeching weasel peg boy. It was, it was amazing. We, like I said, we would go every, every weekend. Yeah. That's, I probably would too. No one really wanted to come near us in the middle of a uh, cornfield in central PA. <laughs> so. Yeah. Wait, but I mean, I, I played a bunch of shows in state college. Did you? There was a, there was a, it was a, um, this guy, Chris, 
he was in a band called Ethel Missouri. He would book all the shows in State College. You know, this was when Braid started. Right. When right. Braid was touring, yeah. So we would always play there. His house. Oh, that's excellent. So when did um what happened to Friction then? How did that end? Um, Friction ended because I went to college basically. Okay. So that was, you know, ninety three. I went to college in Champaign, Illinois, at U of I, University of Illinois, and Friction exists. There was actually overlap between Braid and Friction for about maybe almost a year, six months to a year. Um, but yeah, we tried to keep Friction going uh, when I was in college, but it just, I don't know, it, it didn't work. I was... Like I said, I was gone. Everyone was just separated. And there were only three of us. And then, plus, when I got to college, I had brought this guitar. I didn't bring my drums to college. There was nowhere to even keep them because I had to live in the dorm. But I had a guitar that a friend's or my a girlfriend's father gave to me just randomly as a gift. It was just 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 shitty guitar, but it was one that I learned how to play guitar on. That's what I brought to school. And decided I wanted to be in a band playing guitar, and so that's when Braid uh, happened. Just meeting some, meeting them uh, in Champagne, uh, and yeah, and like I said, then friction sort of dissolved. So was it a struggle then trying to balance starting up Braid and being in college at the same time? No, 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 not really, because I I wasn't very interested in school. Yeah, I mean I I was. I, I, I was to an extent, but I wasn't going there for a specific purpose of landing a job or getting a degree that would help me get a job. All I really wanted to do was play music. So, you know, my parents were like, um, you know, you could do whatever you want to do, play music tour, but just graduate. That's all we ask. And I said, <laughs> okay, cool. I'll, I'll do that. And so that's what I did. And anytime there were any breaks, you know, like spring break or summer, you know, Braid was just on the road, on tour all the time. Yeah. Well, you said you formed Braid in college, but like, yeah. did you play a lot of like the same places Friction did? Did you just meld into the community you'd already built with Friction or was it yeah. a whole new thing? It was mostly the community we we started with or started with Friction because at the time when I was in Friction, there was a pretty, there was a really healthy scene in the west suburbs of Chicago that you know included friction, included um, Captain Jazz. Yeah, there was there was this great community of bands that existed, and it, you know we had set up shows at people's houses. We'd set up shows at VFW halls. We had it pretty down. When I got to Champaign, you know it was a lot of um, college rock vibe that you know the club in town was 19 and over so when we would go to see shows there we would literally have to stand outside and watch through the window so it was a lot of me or you know this other another guy who the first guitar other guitar player of uh braid sort of taking what we learned from the chicago suburbs and making it work in Champagne as much as we could because there weren't really many house shows going on like at all. It was all just club stuff. Right. And, uh, and then, you know, Braid would then come to Chicago and play shows in Chicago, all the places that, you know, friction had played and just sort of 
assimilated into into that scene in Chicago. So I'm curious around this time, because obviously things are much different now when you're booking shows and stuff like that. Are you like calling this guy to say, hey, do you know this guy? And then you've got like this whole phone list or how did you guys work on booking shows at that time? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that that's pretty much it. Yeah, you just had a list. Usually it wasn't like I don't rem- I don't recall ever really trying to set up too many shows for us. It was more like getting on to other shows. Right, right. But when you know when when it came to going on tour, you know, the internet was in its infancy. So like we yeah, we literally had a list. We had a this magazine called Book Your Own Fucking Life that was like a just this awesome resource state by state, city by city of places or people like promoters basically in all these places you can call and get shows. And that's, we use that really extensively when we were doing our first tours. Did maximum rock and roll publish that or am yeah. I remembering that wrong? Okay. No, they did. Yeah. And it was amazing. I it's, it's wild to think that I remember being just awe in awe when I found, I'd heard that, like, I think Sam I am had booked a European tour over email. <laughs> I was like, that <laughs> is insane to me. But, yeah, I mean, it's just this is what it was at the time. What does Frankie Welfare Boy Age 5 mean? Um, the picture that's on the cover, or at least the original cover, right, was a photo that Roy, our first drummer, had found at his house. And that's literally what it said on the back of that picture. It was written, Frankie Welfare Boy, age five, on the back of that picture. <laughs> yeah, so that's what we called the album. Now I'm curious about Frankie. I know, and I don't, he didn't, he didn't know. I don't even think his parents knew exactly what that was about. It was just a photo they found. That's actually pretty cool. I like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what was the reception like to that record when it came out? It was pretty positive we um just because it was a little audacious like the the fact that we did so many songs and i don't know tried to make it this big almost not concept album but just really i don't know taking it a little too seriously maybe but also not at all because we were having so much fun recording it with our friend in town in champagne our friend had basically a home studio set up at his place. He was sort of doing it as a hobby. And we were sort of like the house band over there. Right. And so whenever we had um, any chunk of time, we would just go over there and, and hit record and, and play. We'd practice there. You know, we you know, we'd drink beer because they were old enough to buy beer for us. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So we just had this crazy amount of freedom to make that record and do kind of wild shit with it. And I remember, yeah, the, I remember people being into it, but maybe being a little put off by its length and its sort of meandering. Yeah. I'm looking now and qualities. <laughs> It's 26 songs in an hour and four minutes is what I'm looking yeah. at. That's, that's, I think, like, Justin and I played in a band for a while. It took us, like, three years to write a nine-song record. So that's very impressive. Yeah, I think what happened was we had a bunch of songs. And then I, because I'm a nerd, 
realized that all of the songs were started with different letters. And so I thought, well, why don't we make a record where every song starts with a different letter and we'll just do all the letters. And so we ended up writing maybe six, maybe I'd say maybe six of the songs were written really quickly, <laughs> like in a, in a, you know, in one small practice. Right. And then the songs were never played live or something. They were literally just, well, we need a song that starts with X. Let's write that. And so we did that. But I mean, like a lot, like most of the songs were actual songs that we had played. So, yeah, we just we 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 practiced all the time. You know, like I said, we I wasn't interested really in homework or shit like that. I just love I loved hanging out with, you know, my friends and writing songs. It was really um, exhilarating. So what was the recording process like for uh, Age of Octane? Where do you remember he recorded with? Yeah. Yeah, it was exactly the same. Oh, yeah. We did it with, yeah, we did it with our friend uh, who did Frankie Welfare Boy. But it was, you know, we were a little, we were more practiced. Yeah. We had, at right. that point, we had gone on tour. We were a more of a, just a more of a functioning real band. And so the album was a little less like throw everything and the kitchen sink at it. And it was more just like, okay, we're going to make this album and work on the songs more and develop them more and play them before we recorded them so that, yeah, it was just a more cohesive thing. But yeah, in terms of recording, it was exactly the same. Were, were you seeing a uh, pretty good reception on tour for those first two albums or what were those early tours like? Um, you know, up, ups and downs. I mean, right. the shows, I mean, there were definitely shows where pe there were barely anybody there, but we did have, um, you know, pretty good following in, uh, uh, but you know, it was weird. A bunch of, bunch of places. Like I remember very vividly there's, there was a great scene in Little Rock. Like we had really great shows in Little Rock, great shows in, um, Texas, like Austin and Denton and great shows in Florida, like Gainesville. But then I think it was our first tour. We had all these great shows and then we played, this might have been with Get Up Kids too. We played at um, this place, Brownies in New York City. And there was like four people there, like Braden Get Up Kids. And I was so upset. You know, I remember calling my friend and just being like, I'm just really upset about it because we had had such great shows in like, you know, Wilkes Bear. There was a fest, right. I think, on that tour. We played in Wilkes Bear that was like huge. It was awesome ton of people everyone was into it and then we get to new york and there's like nobody there and i thought man you know i hear all this you know i thought we were i don't know making some sort of impact or something and like here nobody's here but when we did play to people it was it was exciting i mean people were into it i i had grown up in once i'd started bands you know idolizing fugazi and bands like that that were just so captivating live that we just wanted to emulate that as much as possible and not not in like a copycat sort of way but just sort of like they had so much fun even though they were a serious band and their songs were serious they just were they had a blast on stage they wanted and yeah and everyone else had fun too so that was really important to us I feel like we're in those days, especially before you could just 
look for bands on your phone, like word of really wild live performances was a much bigger currency at that point. Like, I feel like you could probably get by with them. Like, even if someone wasn't super into your songs, they might recommend you to someone based on your live performance. Exactly. Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. I'm not trying to age you here, (laughs) but we talked about like, okay. We talked about like calling the phone, like the phone list or whatever. The difference between, I only ever went on one tour where I didn't have directions on my smartphone I, and we had to use MapQuest directions. I can't imagine how many times you get lost going on tour literally yes. before even having MapQuest directions. What was that? Do you have any like stories about getting lost or anything from like the early days? Well, we got lost all the time. We had road atlases, you know, right. we had road atlases and normally what would happen is you would you know i'd be like okay we got this show in wilkes-barre for instance we'd get to wilkes-barre and get off the highway and then go to a payphone and call the promoter to get specific directions to wherever the place was the show was i mean that's what we would do um yeah it was wild and i remember even buying at one point this book called i think it was called the next exit but it was just like a, this reference book that showed you what restaurants or gas stations or whatever amenities were at every single exit on the interstate. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you'd be like, well, look at the, if you look at the next exit, we see in 20 miles, there's whatever, a Taco Bell at this exit. So let's wait and eat there or something like that. Yeah. A lot of paper. Sorry, trees. Yeah. Um, so I think right now is a pretty good point before we get into like the frame and canvas days, we're going to do debate game. So we're going to call on our buddy, Sean, and we're going to give you guys a pretty ridiculous topic. Okay. And we're going to give you guys your positions and you have to defend your own position. All right. All right. It's not even your own position. It's our position for you, but <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> you seem kind of nervous. Well, I don't, I can't, make a call until i hear what the topic is i think you'll be okay with this one okay good oh you see it already it's already been chosen okay it's been chosen yeah we our hat hasn't been filled up enough yet (laughs) a random one all right hey sean hey guys sean bob sean hello sean i'm all right feeling good ready for this exciting debate okay um (laughs) Bob, what's your what's your full name? My full name? Yeah. Robert Thomas Nana. Coincidence? I don't think so. No. Sean, you're of the position that Bob Nana was actually the singer of Matchbox 20 and still is. Robert Thomas. <laughs> Bob, you are not the singer of Matchbox 20. No. Opening statements. Uh, Sean, you want to send us off with your opening statement? You got a minute. Wait, which side am I arguing that he is? He is the singer of Matchbox 20 and always has been. Oh, wow. That is punishing. <laughs> um, you're wasting precious time here. The clock started. Right. Yeah. All right. So we all know that Bob, your guest, really doesn't ever actually go by the name bob he's just trying to stay anonymous because he's on this like two-bit podcast so he didn't want to go by his real name of robert 
we've we've all got the internet. We've all listened to uh, Matchbox Twenty. We definitely all own that album, and uh, we we all definitely own a couple Braid albums. Put them side by side. I mean, it's basically like when you uh, when you take those songs by um, uh, what was that shit band Nickelback. And you layer them on top of each other, and you find out that it's essentially just the exact same song layered on top of each other. I, I, I've done that with Frame and Canvas and, and one of those uh, Matchbox 20 records. So I'd say it's a pretty fact-based argument there. All right, Bob, opening statement. I am 100% not the singer of Matchbox 20. If you know, it, it doesn't take too much sleuthing on the internet to look at photos of Matchbox 20, probably of videos, etc. You could probably find out where they were formed, uh, and I don't know the answer to that. Well, again, that's probably a good uh, clue that I'm not in the band. Um, I don't know where they were formed. I don't know when they were formed. Honestly, I think I know one Matchbox 20 song. Don't they sing that's like... I want to push you around. That's yep. Smashbox 20, right? Okay. Yeah. Literally, that's maybe the only song I know. I'm fam- I know that he, Rob Thomas, uh, has done a song with Santana that was very popular. I've never met Carlos Santana. I'm sure he's a wonderful man. I've never met Rob Thomas. Um, but despite us having similar names, I, I can't sing in that particular style. You know what I'm talking about? I think the sort of style, and just um, all lower jaw singing. Exactly, and he's. Uh, I'm going to venture to guess he's younger than I am as well. Um. So, I, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that you know I, I'm not. Ro- I mean, I could show you my apartment right now. It's not the apartment of somebody who's won a Grammy. Thomas is 47. He's 47? Yes. Oh, he's older than me. What do you know? And where are they where are they from? Uh, Again, I'm not in the band, so I don't know. California, probably, I'd assume. Nice play, Robert. Well, he was born in South Carolina. Well, no, he was born in West Germany. (laughs) Oh, wow. Similar accent. Yeah, yeah. Sean, uh, I guess I guess you would say that Bob was born in West Germany. <laughs> Sean, do you have any rebuttals to that? Uh, I mean, has anybody ever seen Bob Nana and Rob Thomas in the same place at the same time? No, no. that's true. I don't get invited to the same stuff that he gets invited to. So you're probably better off. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm looking up Rob Thomas anyway. They're from Orlando, by the way. Orlando. Yes. Oh, wow. okay. Not what I expected. Uh, kind of what I expected. <laughs> you got anything else, Sean, to prove that this is Rob Thomas from Matchbox 20? Because I feel like you're losing this debate. Um, I, I've been to Chicago once. I was there for three days. Um, I, I wasn't actively seeking out either one of them to confirm or deny this. Uh, so, you know, I... I haven't done my full due diligence based on that one time I was in that city 12 years ago. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to go with my gut on this one. It's just, it's a gut feeling. They're the same. Yeah. 
I saw Matchbox 20 on, on TV once when I was in college, and I'd say from the, like, 50 feet I was standing from the television, looked a little like Bob Nana. Uh, I, I'm, I'm actually looking at uh, his Wikipedia page. His birthday's coming up, Valentine's oh. Day. Happy birthday. We were both, I'll, I'll say this. We were both born on the 14th of a month. That's about as close as it gets, I think. Well, other than our <laughs> names, I suppose. That's enough for a conspiracy theory on the internet these days. <laughs> All right. <laughs> would you do a duet with Carlos Santana? Yeah, absolutely, I would. All right. I would. I'm not. I would do a duet with Rob Thomas. Honestly, I probably. Why? Why not? Yeah, that's a fucking payday. I well, I would hope so. And life, Rob, life is short. Does Rob Thomas pack him? Does he sell many records nowadays? I don't know. I saw he's got a solo project, too. So, you know. August 21st, Matchbox 20 will be in the Chicago area with the Wallflowers. Yeah, I think that'll be the final showdown to prove whether or not you are him. Because if we can't get a hold of you on August 21st, then there's no evidence that you're not Rob Thomas. Fair, fair enough. That's fair enough. Okay. By the way, I'm looking at his Twitter. He has a new album out. And the name of the album is... Chip Tooth Smile. That is dumb. <laughs> so dumb. That dude for sure has a pair of like $20,000 veneers or some bullshit over his teeth. I know. He does not have a chip tooth. He does, he does not on my dental plan. so awful. So awful. By the way, I do have a chip tooth. I have a chip tooth um, from, a, from banging it on a microphone. So there we go. Also, I'm it's looking at his fun. Twitter... Wow, a lot of my a lot of people that I follow follow him. Wow, <laughs> you know who follows him? Whoa. Anthony Green. Just switch sides of this argument. I yeah, Anthony Green follows him, uh, and um, Patton Oswalt follows him. Rob Thomas. Anyway, if anything, we've deepened your connection with Matchbox Twenty. I think that is true. You're you're you probably a degree of separation away from Rob Thomas, which is the mother that you both share because you're the same person. Oh, that's true. It's well, whoa, the mother that we both share. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's a great. All right, Sean. I don't know if you get a closing argument. I think you're good. <laughs> yeah, Thank, well, thanks well, for hopping in, Sean. We appreciate it. Thank you, Sean. Pleasure. I'm going to go back to getting drunk in Maine. See ya. Sounds good. Oh, right. Bye, thanks, Sean. Sean. So, thanks for having a sense of humor about that, Bob. That's, hey, that's fine. I Poll uh, and see what uh, – we'll let everyone vote and see if they think you're um, Rob Thomas or not. Yeah, people can vote as much as they like. It will not make me Rob Thomas, sadly. No, I don't think uh, – Chip Tooth wanna... Smile. Chip Tooth Smile. Awful. Awful name for that is a really bad title. So stupid. That sounds like something we would come up with. <laughs> sounds like a slap happy song. Be <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll progress back into where we were at. Uh, framing canvas days we were around, right? Yep. yep. Who put that out? What label did that? Polyvinyl. Okay. Uh, how'd you run into them? Um, they uh, at the time were based in Danville, Illinois, which is, was like a half hour from Champaign. And uh, Matt um, from Polyvinyl 
he based polygon was like a zine it wasn't a label and it started off as a zine and he was friends with we just had all these mutual friends he was even at the first braid show he might have booked the first braid show that we played in danville so when he started putting out records it was like yeah of course we want to do this record with you i mean polyvinyl was pretty small operation at the time not they're huge now but um you know at the time it was pretty small they didn't have a ton of records out but yeah when we wanted to do an actual record that we were going to record at an actual studio yeah we wanted an actual label to put it out not that the other labels we worked with weren't big that this was or big enough or you know had the resources that were necessary this was just a cool opportunity to work with our friend who was starting a, a label and had some traction and you recorded with jay robbins for that right <laughs> yep yeah and, and we went to inner ear in washington dc to record that oh wow and since you said earlier that you guys had a uh, fugazi as a touchstone yeah. that that must have been really something it was it was um, really amazing, special experience. And working with Jay, too, was was incredible because we were just all huge fans of, of Jawbox, too. Yeah, we recently, well, no, we didn't recently, but we got the opportunity to record with him uh, a few years ago. And oh, nice. It was definitely the best recording experience I think we've had. <laughs> well, I oh, know it's... Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. He's in, he's just he's amazing. So you guys did a decent amount of touring after that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Basically, I think the record we recorded the record at the end of '97, and then I think in '98 we yeah we toured. I mean, we must have played like a hundred shows, maybe more. In 1998, we went to Europe twice. We toured the U.S. and Canada, and to be honest, that was probably why we ended up breaking up because we just were kind of sick of each other. <laughs> right. Yeah. At that point in time, yeah. Do you have any cool tour stories from in Europe or anything? Yeah, I mean, a ton. I uh, I still am pretty good about keeping journals and stuff, but especially back then, um, that's my cat meowing in the background. I. Uh, yeah, I, I kept track of a lot of stuff. The the one thing that I really remember vividly about the first European tour that we did with Get Up Kids in 98 was it was before the European Union. So we had to stop at every single border. And we played, you know, a bunch of different countries. We played Croatia, we played Germany, Italy. Czech Republic, the UK, et cetera, et cetera. And every single border we got, now we didn't get searched at every border, but we got searched at a lot of borders where they, you know, we had to unload the, the van, all the equipment, just lay it all out. I'm sorry, I'm plugging in my computer right now because it's going to die. Um, no problem. Uh, that's what I'm doing, walking around. Um, but yeah, we had to unload every single instrument you know instrument all of our gear all of our merch they went through all of our bags with you know drug sniffing dogs and stuff so anytime we got to a point in the tour where we would have to cross a border we would have to add like two hours to our time because we wow. were pretty certain we were going to get searched excuse me uh for every every border <laughs> so did you just have them mail the drugs to the venue then or where'd you hide them 
we would just rely on the promoter in each uh, town to provide us with whatever we needed, I suppose. We weren't carrying anything with us. Did, was it like a lot of arguing or whatever? You guys just got tired of seeing each other and then fizzled out? Or how did you come to the decision to finally end it then? Yeah, I mean, at the time, I think at the time we were pretty, we were living together, too in a house in Champagne. So, you know, we would go on tour and then come home and have to like be around each other constantly. And it just got to be just too much. I mean, we, we probably could have used a alone time. And there were also diverging ideas of what we wanted to do musically. Like I know Chris was getting in, into a little more, Chris Broach was getting into a little more electronic stuff. Right. Um, and so he was wanted to start his own thing. And yeah, I don't know. I think it was just, yeah, it was just fatigue from being around each other constantly. And then sort of always being on someone else's schedule. You know what I mean? Right. right. Everything was about the band. It was, you know, you know, you're feeling sick tonight, too bad. And like the band's got to play or whatever, you know, you, Oh, you lost your, I'm saying you, but it's me too. You know, Oh, you lost your whatever contact solution. Well, too bad, <laughs> you know, or something like that. You know, it's that it sort of got like that, I think. And it just was, you know, it too much for us. How long after the breakup did it take for you to start playing in Hey Mercedes? Instantly. We had yeah. already started writing songs for Hey Mercedes before Braid's last shows. Oh, wow. Yeah, so um, I think Braid, well, Braid's last shows were in August of 99. And then the first Hey Mercedes show was that next year. But for our first show, we had already put out a record. Like we put out a rec we recorded a record before we played a show. Oh, wow. Just an EP. What were those last shows like? Were they pretty insane? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's a DVD or a, there was a kind of a documentary made about Braid, um, but through the lens of those last shows. And it was amazing. Yeah, it was really cool to have that experience where everybody, you know, our friends from around the world, I suppose, could come and, you know, see these last shows in in um, Chicago, there was a few in Chicago, one in Milwaukee, and one in um, Champaign. So you st stuck to polyvinyl for that first release, right? Or the EP? Yeah. Um, How did you end up signing with Vagrant? Was like, did you just have like the one EP contract for polyvinyl, or did you seek a different direction? Yeah, I don't remember. There, I don't even think there was any sort of contract for that EP in terms of like, yeah, a deal. But we had done a ton of touring with get up kids towards the end of braid and get up kids had signed to vagrant and basically introduced us to them and sort of facilitated the signing of hey mercedes to vagrant it was through the get up kids yeah that was basically it <laughs> what's your cat's name that i have two cats that cat that's meowing is billy She's named after Billie Holiday. As okay. you can tell, she's got a beautiful voice like Billie Holiday. <laughs> she's also 19 years old. Holy shit. Yeah, this cat, um, I adopted her with um, a girlfriend in 2001. 
then uh, this girl and I broke up basically the next year and she took the cat and then, you know, fast forward something like 15 years, she contacted me on Facebook. She's like, she was married. She's married. She has, she had a kid on the way. They had a dog. She's just basically like, do you want the cat back? (laughs) Remember this cat? Remember that kitten we adopted? Well, we can't keep her because I think her husband was allergic or something like that. So she's like, do you want her back? And I was like, sure. So now I've had her back for almost five years. Oh. Are there any songs about missing her? No. No. No, because I didn't. I mean, I had adopted a cat then in 2010. I, no, I didn't really miss her. I mean, just like I didn't at the time miss my my girlfriend either because we just broke up and I knew that Billy, the cat, was going to be fine. And she is. She's fine. I wasn't too sad about missing her. And now she's back. Happy as ever. Happy as ever. <laughs> so in your head, since you were in both bands, mm-hmm. how would you describe the differences between playing in Braid and Hey Mercedes? Was it mostly like congruent and just moving forward with similar songwriting and stuff? Or like, did you have to make a big mental shift to be no. in the Hey Mercedes? No. In terms of songwriting, it was all basically the same. I mean... We didn't change the way we wrote songs. We didn't change the, we didn't, you know, go out or set out to specifically change any sort of direction musically either. It was just sort of, I mean, I honestly, I feel like if Braid wouldn't have broken up, our first, the next record would have sounded probably like Hey Mercedes. I would assume, again, I would just assume. The, the main difference was we were just more professional quote unquote, as a band, because we, we were on a label, we started, you know, the, the band, we were very deliberate with our plans. Like I said, we did, we had a record out before the, we even played a show. Um, we just took everything we learned from Braid. And when Braid started, it was just like madness. So it was like the Wild West. I mean, we didn't have any plan at all. We were just writing songs all the time, putting out, put getting on comps, getting on seven inches or splits and putting out records and going on tour. There was no plan at all. And, you know, maybe, maybe that had something to do with us fizzling out um, at that point in time. But yeah, so here Mercedes, we were just a little more, I guess a professional for lack of a better word, when it came to decisions we were making plans, we were making, Etc. Yeah. It's almost like taking what you learned from Braid and almost streamlining it and starting mm-hmm. from scratch, sort of. Yeah, exactly. And that felt good to do. You know, having the sort of opportunity to start with a blank slate and be in control of it from the beginning. Right. So looking back now, obviously you guys did a ton of touring and touring with a lot of bands Yeah. that you know, a lot of great bands like Saves the Day and Get Up Kids and Thursday and stuff like that. What would you look back as your the most fun band you've gone on tour with? Huh. That's a good question. I definitely the most fun band we went on tour with were the get was the Get Up Kids. Because we experienced so many new things for the first time 
together, whether it was playing, you know, a show in New York or touring Europe. We did the, all these things for the first time together. And just in terms of the fun aspect of the band, of them as people, we just clicked really well. And, you know, we played games all the time and we're just goofy, goofing off and joking. And it was just, I don't know, it was a really amazing experience. So, yeah, touring with them, especially towards the end of Braid, was um, really, really fun. Can you think of any funny, off the top of your head, Matt Pryor tour stories or anything like that? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, I can't really think of any huge ones. I know that he packed. He had a lot of bags, <laughs> I remember, which is a stupid thing to remember. <laughs> um, and uh, he, I remember when we, he, they wrote a song about this. Um, getting into the UK the first time when we were on tour, we had to like basically con our way in because we couldn't say we were musicians. You know, we would have needed, I think, a visa or some sort of paperwork that we did not have. So right. we had this van. We had two cars, a van and a like a station wagon. And uh, I don't know how Matt and a few other people drew this short straw but they had to basically get out of the car and go through the border on foot and, <laughs> oh, and wow. like basically say that they were whatever. And uh, they said they were students. And Matt, I remember him saying that he, he uh, they asked him what he was studying. And it just <laughs> took him completely by surprise. He was not expecting any, any question like that. So he said math. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's a good one. Yeah. When yeah. when you're when you're creating the ruse, you don't usually take it to that second place where it's like, oh, they might ask me the question of what I'm studying. Exactly. <laughs> it's sort of like I remember, you know, when I was going to bars or getting into shows that were 21 and over before I was 21, and I was using like fake ID. It was like, okay, you should add, you should know what this person's sign is. Because that's like a thing they'll ask a bouncer if they think it might be fake. They're right. like, oh, what's, "What's your sign?" But you'd have to know what the birth date of your fake ID was if it was a different right. person. So, in Hey Mercedes, what led? I hate to keep asking about your bands breaking up, but uh, what led to you deciding to put that one to bed? In 2004, Bray did a, re a tour, a reunion tour, and that was when Hey Mercedes ended and again i think it was more like at the time when hey mercedes was in full swing most of the band lived in milwaukee and okay. i lived here in chicago and i what happened was in 2004 mike who was playing guitar for us moved back to cleveland which is where he's from and i i think we were just too far apart to keep it going. Right. I remember it just being a weird sort of like understood thing that we just weren't going to play anymore. Yeah. So after who, the braid um, tour, who, who initiated the, uh, braid reunion? Did you guys call Chris or did he approach you? 
We called Chris. How did that go over? Was he like, hell yeah, let's do it, or did it take some convincing? No, he 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 wanted to do it. Okay, cool. Yeah, I remember being excited about that. You know, it's funny. At that point in time, the concept of the reunion tour was not really a thing. Now it's like everybody's doing it. You know what I mean? Everybody's coming back and doing a tour. At that point in time, it wasn't a thing. And I remember we got kind of shit about it some, a little bit. Um, you know, people think thinking that we were doing it for like the money, which there was very little of. So I don't know what that was. About. <laughs> but um, yeah, so yeah, it was pretty it was pretty easy. I don't think Chris I mean, he had done a little bit of touring with his band at the time, but he really wasn't doing too much. Yeah. So he was psyched to, to, to do it. Did you guys stay in contact through that whole period? Not, not really. Yeah. No, I mean, we'd see each other here and there at shows and stuff, but okay. not really. Those, how'd those reunion shows go over then? Again, you know, sort of like any other tour, there were ups and downs. Yeah. Uh, most of it was amazing. We did a lot of the tour with Minus the Bear, and they were so much fun to tour with. I mean, they're definitely one of the most fun bands we toured with as well, as, along with the Ghetto Kids. But it was a long tour, and towards the end of it, we were not getting along. So, oh. you know, it sort of was just like this mini, you know, experience of being in a band where it starts off amazing, and then towards the end, we're like sick of each other. Kind of so, like long like, enough to remind you why you broke up in the first place. Exactly, exactly. So we're like 15 to 20 years now past it. Looking back, can you say who was the worst and was it you? <laughs> <laughs> who was the worst? <laughs> I think we were all guilty of being the worst at different times. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, yeah, I could probably think of if if I've sat and thought of times when each one of us was unreasonable <laughs> or a pro or problematic. But I can look I, back and generally consider myself the worst in both. Really? <laughs> well, that's that's big of you. That's big of you to admit. So Self awareness does not come lightly. Yeah. <laughs> so you tried. Yeah, the first reunion, you guys got back together. What uh, didn't work the first time? It seems like it worked pretty well the second time. Were you like surprised by that? You mean in 2014 when we did a new record? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No. At that point in time, we were, you know, we're we're much older and less idealistic or less like wide-eyed and more realistic as to our you know what we wanted from this from these shows from the album. It wasn't like we didn't have dreams of what you know getting Right. I don't know, bigger or signing somewhere or getting on MTV at the time or whatever, playing on TV, you know? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't really part of it. It was it was just more pure. <laughs> That's a dumb way of saying it. But we just were, like I said, just a little more – we understood more about what the purpose of it all was, and that was just writing – getting together and writing new songs and being able to tour again and enjoy the good parts about touring. And we were really um, cognizant of each other's space 
as well. I mean, we just were older. We learned a lot in the, you know, the previous whatever, 20 years or something like that um, to be able to make it not super stressful. And presumably you all had smartphones, which kind of helps with mm-hmm. the uh, effect of touring and being away from home. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Uh, did you ever play any of those late night shows like with Braid or Hamer Mercedes or anything? No. I, I, I wish we would have, but we we had Damon, uh, the drummer, did play Kilborn and Conan. He played Craig Kilborn and Conan with Saves the Day because he he played drums for Saves the Day on one of their tours that we did with them. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was always curious what that experience is kind of like. I think about. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously talk to him about it. Um, <laughs> what's interesting about it is you are able to fix issues that that was, that was the thing I was kind of surprised about. So like if there was, I don't know, like a weird note you hit when you were singing or something, what was off Yeah. because you filmed it, you know, during the day and then it aired at night, you could fix things if you needed to. What a letdown. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> yeah. Well, the so No Coast and the EP came out like early 2010s, mid 2010s, right? Right. Those, I mean, personally, I like every time you hear a reunion of bands putting on a new record, you're skeptical. But it was kind of exactly what I would have hoped a Braid record would sound like in like 2013 or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, how did you guys like? We like I always find it hard to come back after time off and write consistent music. How did you guys maintain that and maintain expectations for putting out a new record for a band that obviously built up a pretty big following for what was at that time a like a rejuvenated emo scene kind of? Sure. Yeah, I mean, well, a few things. Um, I hadn't stopped playing music. I was still doing solo stuff for that whole period of time, still writing songs basically in the vein of a braid. I was writing, you know, loud songs, but on acoustic guitar basically. So I hadn't taken any like long break from writing right. that, that also I hadn't taken any break from writing lyrics either. Plus I still kept, you know, notebooks and stuff. So, I looked back and used some old lyrics for for that record. Oh yeah, twenty. Yeah, I was. I, I would look back and see what I was writing at the time or how I was writing, and definitely used some of them, but also used it as sort of inspiration to get me back in that headspace of being, you know, whatever angsty. Yeah. Would you still rather be wine drunk? Always. Yeah. Um, so tell us about downright a little bit. Are you still yeah. doing that? I am. Yeah. Yeah, Downright um, started in 2013. Um, my friend Mark Rose and I, uh, Mark is another songwriter. He was in a band called Spittlefield that did a lot of touring and stuff. Um, basically, we wanted to create a space online where him and I could create custom music for people um, or just make, make ourselves available to do that. Right. And so 
that was the initial idea. And then we decided, you know, like basically the next day or two to be like, well, why does it just have to be him and I, I mean, let's just make it a big community, a big, you know, where we can invite all of our song, all of our songwriting friends on there to make profiles and do that same thing, you know, like Matt Pryor or, um, was, you know, one of the first people who started to do that with us. And, um, yeah, and that's, that's pretty much where it started. And it's been, you know, it's been going really consistently for the past, you know, six, almost seven years. And we're going to be doing a lot more with it this year. Um, yeah, we're going to, you know, we're working with a, um, a bigger team that is going to help us you know, add more features, relaunch some things, make it a little more streamlined. I mean, we're, you know, for all of the passion that Mark and I have put into it, we lack a little bit of the business savvy. Um, so it's, you know, it's been great to work with, you know, basically friends of ours who are a little more, you know, uh, talented in that area just to help us, like I said, streamline things and help it grow. Because frankly, I, that's what the goal is. I want it to become something that everybody wants to be a part of, or everyone feels like, Oh, it's, it's something that they should be offering to, to people, you know, because, you know, because of the fact that not a lot of records are sold nowadays, you know, people get shit for free. All the people expect, shit for free they expect to be able to go on to spotify and listen to every single album that came out i mean i i do this as well i mean it's not i'm not complaining i love it it's amazing and convenient but it's not doing anything for the livelihood of artists um who you know used to be able to you know at least pay some bills with doing you know this you know, their, their art, you know, something that they were skilled at, something that they were good at something that they enjoyed doing. And so, yeah, I would love to make downright something that every artist wants to be a part of because they can bring that value back to their music by making it really, really special and, and custom, you know, I mean, I, if I write a song for somebody, they don't have to play it for anybody else. You know, they could, that's their song. Yeah. They literally, they're the only person in the world that can hear that that will hear it if they want that to be the case. It's interesting the way that artists very have been, limited <laughs> kind of been forced to diversify. You know, what I mean, like I would yeah call downright that or the way that um, acoustic or solo acts are doing the living room tour as yeah. kind of a different way to do. Yeah. It's just an evolving music industry the way it's always been. Yeah, totally. I totally I agree, and you know, it's for, for better or worse. I'm not going to be the person who, you know, looks down upon somebody who uses something like TikTok or whatever to become viral and, you know, launch their careers. I mean, I, I, I'm a fine with that. Like the dude, whatever, the old town road dude, like he's just, he was able to do that without like a label basically. You know what I mean? It was just like, I mean, now obviously it becomes popular and then it's like a feeding frenzy to like sign the guy, but it's just sort of like everyone's is playing by their own rules. 
which is great. And some labels are on board with it and working well. And the ones that don't are kind of dying. And the same could be said for bands too. Like if you're not willing to accept certain aspects of how the industry is changing, then, you know, you're going to become like a fossil, <laughs> a dinosaur. <laughs> yeah. you know? The old man yelling at cloud about how, yeah, exactly. Do you ever yeah. get any like ridiculous requests that you have to turn down on there? I haven't. I haven't. Um, some, you can, like artists have gotten ones that they were like, I don't know, like uncomfortable with or something. And it's, it's, it really hasn't been that much yeah. of an issue, but I mean, like for instance, um, somebody wanted me to cover an Alvin and the chipmunk song <laughs> and, and was not like, was actually, you know, really sweet about it. I think it might've been for his son or daughter. Oh, that's cool. wanted me to do this version of a song. And I, I was like, yeah, I, I did this, my sort of take on this song and it was really, really fun to do, <laughs> you know? So I'm, you know, I, I like getting those sort of odd requests or challenge. I look at them, look at them as like fun and challenging. Yeah. I was going to say, that's almost like a way of presenting a new challenge to yourself that maybe you wouldn't have thought of like, you get to explore other avenues with your music that you wouldn't have thought about doing. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. Exactly. So is, uh, is braid still going or are you guys kind of done again or whatever happens happens? Yeah. Whatever happens happens. I mean, we're, there's no plan. There aren't any plans to do anything. Um, Damon, our drummer is getting married this year. So we're, I, you know, he lives in Nashville, so I don't see him too often but we'll definitely all be there for that later in the year, which will be fun. Um, if something, if some opportunity came up, we would consider it, you know, but, you know, doing it sort of full time or even like part time right now, just isn't feasible for us as a band, just everyone's super busy. Um, with families and jobs, et cetera, you know, so well, buddy, I got a great opportunity for you. We have a garage in York, Pennsylvania. Great. Okay. <laughs> That's the end of the opportunity. There exactly. it is. It's just a garage. You no. decide what happens. Yeah, no, we've chosen it, but we had K kill your idols played the 10 year anniversary last year. It was pretty cool. amazing. Yeah. I ho hope to see some new stuff. Are you, are you still doing a solo record this year? I am. Okay. Yeah, I am. I actually just um, did photos for it yesterday. I um, yeah, I recorded it all last September, and it's going to be coming out probably in May. Okay. Yeah. Who's putting that out? Um, a label called New Granada from okay. Florida. Cool. That's an exclusive. That's exclusive information. I haven't really said that to anybody, to anybody yet. Oh wow! Breaking news. Yeah, that's breaking news. Should I take that out or <laughs> no, keep it in? Okay, cool. All right. Well, Justin, you have. I no, guessing. I'm Bob. If you're good, I'm good. Yeah. I'm okay. Good. This is fun. Yeah, we can wrap, wrap it up. If everyone wants to go check out Downright, downright.com. Uh, we know yeah. we said Bob's new album will be coming out in May. Mm -hmm. And uh, keep your eyes peeled for any other potential projects in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have anything yeah. you want to shout out, Bob? Um, n <laughs> not really. <laughs> um, 
uh, other than, like I said, the record's coming out in May, and I'm going to be doing some touring. Like, I might go to South America oh, for the excellent. first time and play shows. Um, maybe a Europe thing as well. Yeah, I'm going to be all over the place. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks a bunch for coming on. Um, hopefully we can do it again at some point, maybe after the record comes out. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Cool. Yeah, we appreciate you taking a chance on doing this with us. Thanks, oh, no Bob. problem. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. See ya. Oh, wow. Oh, wow, that was that fun. Was fun. <laughs> I got it in on it, too. I don't know if there's a latency issue with, uh, like, the delay between us. Oh, Wilkers, Bob. Thanks for the Wait. emo. Okay, bye. <laughs> We're going to call our friend Sean and have him just, like, insult the shit out of you. <laughs> He's been listening oh, yeah. to records for 20 years. <laughs> TJ, do you have a gripe? I got two gripes for you. You can either have number one or number two. Which one do you want? One. What else? Yeah, hey, two. Huh. It says it. Hey, give us both of them, bud. No, I'm not giving you both of them, because I have one, one for next time. Well, then whatever, well, whatever is burning most passionately in you right now. Oh my God, that's number two. So, what grapes me is Chipotle. What about Chipotle? They're terrible. <laughs> Agreed. No, nothing sure. more specific. That's it. Oh, oh, I mean, I, how much time do you got? Oh, all the time in the world. We got all editing right. powers, bud. Hit so, me. So, in Central Pennsylvania, we're blessed with many good burrito options. You got in the north, you got Nito Burrito. In the south, you have Raw Burritos, Mexitali. You got all these good places to get a burrito in here. And then in walks in this shameful little dirty son of a gun that is Chipotle. Dirty is appropriate because didn't they have the E. coli problem with some of their, like, uh, vegetables? Yeah. There you go. All right, where do I begin? Okay, so they can't roll a burrito to save their lives. Steve, what do you think about that? They can't roll a burrito. They're awful. Awful, like, awful. They roll a burrito like they got a broken wrist. <laughs> all right so uh they can't roll a burrito for anything i can always count on one of two things when i get something at chipotle which isn't off often um either their rice is going to be undercooked and it'll be hard or my burrito is going to fall apart while i'm eating it terrible 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 so can i can i counter go ahead you can counter so one wrong. so one of your gripes could be solved by simply getting a burrito bowl Okay, and that's my. Who the other fuck gripe. wants a burrito bowl? If I go to Chipotle to get a burrito, if I want burrito soup. I'll get burrito soup. I'm not going to settle. <laughs> I'm not going to settle for a burrito bowl because they can't do their job and roll a fucking burrito. Are you kidding me? I like that you said "son of a gun" and then you said "fucking burrito." <laughs> <laughs> it just proves how mad he is about the burrito. <laughs> I should really get Lane in here to talk about this because she would be all over Chipotle. Those sofritos are just like an immediate, like a, basically like a guaranteed ticket to diarrhea 20 minutes in my future. Oh, they're so tasty, though. Oh, it's fucking foul. When, when we went to the Grand Canyon um, in October, there was like a bearded hippie looking fella with a sign 
that said like Chipotle equals E. coli at the Grand Canyon. I don't think there was I don't think there was a Chipotle within like fifty miles. <laughs> he was just standing in the middle of it, like there was because Wait, the guy national with parks sign? Yeah, national parks have like a free assembly area for like protesting. Like it's There's... like a designated thing in a lot of places. They have like a little area that's like Hey, here's us recognizing freedom of speech. Tell us how much you hate us in this five by five designated area. Tell us how mad you are at the fucking Grand Canyon. Like <laughs> about Chipotle. Like, are you kidding? About this like petty shit that's chapping your ass. In this like incredible natural beauty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where everyone else is having like a life changing experience. <laughs> <laughs> Be stunned by the wonders of the world, but. Be mad about Chipotle at the same time. <laughs> You're mad about that chain burrito place you keep going to despite the many alternatives everywhere in America. <laughs> Yo, so that what you just said, Justin, reminded me, there's a guy on Instagram, and I can't remember what the exact name is because there's a bunch of ripoffs now, but his Instagram handle is basically something along the lines of the guy with the sign. And he just okay. goes everywhere with a sign and, you know, it's something funny, clever, oftentimes like, you know, on topic of a you know, current event. And he's got like six million followers. Oh, really? Which is why there's so many knockoffs that I can't like, even find the actual normal one here. Because there's like an Indian guy with sign, sign guy, the guy with the sign, guy with sign, Nigerian guy with sign, Danish Sooner guy with sign, guy with the best signs. I'm glad we have a lot of representation in the sign-waving community. So I have a gripe. I'm going to tag on to TJ's gripes, but mine's a little okay. different. My gripe is, why does it take bands 20 minutes to change over when they're sharing all their equipment? Did you say that was related to the Chipotle gripe? No, I said it's not related. It's <laughs> my gripe. Okay. I was like, um... Maybe because they're at Chipotle and they don't know how to roll a good goddamn burrito there. <laughs> well, I don't know. You know, band members uh, get lost. Thanks to Bob Nana. Please uh, rate and review wherever you find podcasts. And join us next Monday and every Monday wherever you find podcasts. All right, guys. Thanks. Oh,